0: Amen. You know, I love it when things happen like uh, Paul being a minute late and having to run because it it proves we are a battleship, not a cruise ship. Uh, We're not really about having this awesome polished service. We really just want to be about God's work. Uh, And when we gather here, we get to worship and it's awesome, but it's not about who's on stage. It's not about us doing it just right. Um, We're a battleship. And as a battleship, you know, the enemy is going to come against us and things are going to happen, uh, but we don't have to be tripped up by that. It, even in our prayer time this morning that Paul missed, um, but it was awesome. It was actually the best we've had in months. Um, but after that, we we, we had some, some talking of where we've we seen God work and somebody shared about learning about the spiritual armor and how there is this battle and and so... Just throw that out there. God is at work. And when God's at work, the enemy is going to stop us or try to stop us. But we don't have to give in because greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Um, and on, on that note, not being a battleship. Uh, so right here, or we are a battleship. Thank you for the correction. Being, being a battleship, being open, not polished, even sitting here, singing, getting ready for the service. Guy actually adjusted some things in my mind. So we'll see if you can pick out what God just changed. Um, I wanted to start with a question, though. Who, who here wants to be miserable? Anybody? Who here wants to be grumpy or angry? Who here wants to be happy? I see spouses patting each other on that one. That's anyway. <laughs> who, who wants to be happy? Honestly. Now, some of you will never raise your hands for anything, Alex. Um, that's okay. But I, I'm assuming those of you that didn't raise your hand, you want to be happy too. Um, on, a, on a scale of one to 10, you know, where's your happiness meter right now? Now, in church, this sounds like a really selfish thing to be talking about, doesn't it? I mean, we're in church, we're supposed to be all about God, but we're talking about our happiness. Anyway, um, where is your personal happiness meter? All right, we're going to kind of come back to that happiness stuff, but how does even happiness? align with law. Weird connection. But today we're going to continue in the book of Matthew. Go ahead and turn to Matthew. We're going to be uh, in chapter five primarily. And we're going through the, uh, the book of Matthew in four weeks, trying to cover big highlights. And so this week we're covering a big highlight called uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And maybe you've heard of it before. It's uh, probably Jesus' most famous sermon. Uh, it's been preached on forever and ever and ever. It's a couple chapters long, and it is really central to Christianity, and it's central to Scripture. So we're going to be looking at, at that, those two chapters. But really, those chapters, Jesus is talking a lot about law. So we, we have a picture up here. Maybe uh, some of you have families that have house rules posted up on the wall. Anybody have those kind of like that? Anybody have family rules? Any kids in here have family rules in their house? What are some of the rules you guys have? Yeah. Name one. Don't put tax in the walls. That's that's OK. That's a good rule. One more from the same family. Ooh. Those are your kids. Have good manners. Yeah. Eh, take or leave that one. <laughs> now, good manners. That's great. What, what are some of the rules in your house? Do your chores without a frown. That's a good rule. Now, rules serve a purpose. Obviously, those things serve a purpose. W- what about the laws and things we have in our country? What if we just abandon those? Speed limit laws gone. Personal property laws gone. People just take whatever you want. It'd be kind of like Mad Max, if you remember those really awesome, awesome movies. The new one, not so good, but the old ones are awesome. It'd, it'd kind of be like Mad Max. And how happy is... That life, back to this happiness thing. How happy is a a life with no law, no rules, all of that? Anyway, we're going to look at Jesus' teaching about rules and law, and it relates a lot to happiness, or we could say human flourishing. But as we looked at last week, Jesus came all the Old Testament pointing to Jesus. And we looked at several of the covenants God made with His people uh, to change the world, basically to introduce His plan of salvation. He used Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant, where He made some promises to Abraham. He made some promises to David, uh, and He fulfilled all of those in Jesus, not fully fulfilled yet till He comes to sit on the throne physically. So we're still waiting for some of that to be fulfilled, and it will. And then there was another covenant we looked at, the Mosaic covenant, um, and this is where God gave the law to Israel through Moses, the rules. Uh, I think we have some of those. Maybe you've heard of the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. Now, when I was a kid, we learned it, thou shalt not. So uh, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. And then there's, there's some thou shall, uh, you know, you shall honor your father and mother. There you go. Is that on your list at home? Any of you kids? No at it. Um, (laughs) But again, we're going to look at Matthew five, because maybe you've experienced this in your life, or maybe you're new to Christianity. Maybe this is your first time at church and you're wondering, does the church follow the 10 commandments? Are they supposed to? Uh, Do we have a bunch of rules that we as Jesus followers are supposed to follow? Or are we free to not follow those rules anymore? And, And within church, you can see two real extremes. There's legalism, Following every law perfectly, and you're kicked out if you don't. Um, or there's license. The uh, we don't really have to follow rules anymore, so we get to do whatever we want um, as long as we say sorry for it, or as long as we do our hail marys or whatever it is in our tradition. We can cover for these these sins. That's kind of on the license side. But what does Jesus have to say about the law and following rules and commandments? Turn if you would to Matthew five. Am I in the right chapter? Yeah, good. There we go. Matthew 5, starting in verse 1, says, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. Time out. Who's he talking to? Disciples. This is not the crowd. There are not a bunch of Pharisees or, you know, googly eyed people in. This is his. People. These are the ones already chosen to follow him. Very, you got to know who he's talking to. So he's talking to his disciples, which if you have chosen to follow Jesus as Lord, that's you. You are a disciple. And he opened his mouth, verse 2, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. These are called the Beatitudes, and I'm going to keep going. But do you know what that word blessed means? Happy. That word blessed really means happy. So keep that in mind as we continue. Verse uh, four Blessed or happy are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful So look at that list. Would you initially go, these are the happy people? Do you want these things? So there's already somewhat of it. it feels like a contradiction. Happy are those who mourn. Happy are those who are not happy. What? Maybe you've read this throughout your life and maybe you've you've misunderstood some, as I have, what he's really talking about. He's not talking about, you know, beginning in the first one, happy are those who are poor in spirit. This isn't... Happy are those without any money. Although I'd say there's probably more happy people without money than with money. But he's talking about poor in spirit. This is somebody lowly of heart. You could say humble. Or you go on, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. I always thought this meant like when you mourn, when somebody in your family dies, you're happy. I never really understood it. That's not what it means. Blessed are those who mourn. What he's talking about all through this is is our interaction with sin and our idea of sin. Blessed are those who mourn for sin. Happy are those who hate sin in their own life and in others. And and in others, it's not a judgment of them. It's just, oh, sin is horrible. Oh, I I mourn. Or the sin in your own life. Maybe some of you still have sins you struggle with post-salvation. We're not going to take a show of hands on that one. But it causes you to mourn. You know, when you find yourself getting angry again and then again, and you're like, "Ah, you mourn over that. That's not what God wants for me, and that's not best. You know, blessed are those who live this way because this is best. And really, this is our interaction. This is our heart condition towards sin and toward God. So look at it in that way. Verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Look at that. Happy are those who hunger and thirst, like desire righteousness, meaning God's way of living, because they'll be satisfied. They'll get it. Jesus is starting out with uh, basically a similar, the way Deuteronomy starts, the way the law was first given. Jesus is starting a new covenant. The old covenant had law, had rules and blessing. And under the Old Covenant, you were blessed for your obedience. Now, Jesus is also talking about blessing. So there's this real parallel between the giving of the first law, the Old Covenant, and the New Covenant. Uh, let me read to you Deuteronomy 28, verses 1 and 2. It says, Now it shall be, if you will diligently obey the Lord your God, being careful to do all His commandments, which I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above the nations of the earth. All these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the Lord your God. And in Deuteronomy 28, it goes on to list a bunch of the blessings. Blessed will be the land, but all these things that lead to human flourishing, which helps with happiness, to be honest. Where it's easier to be happy with your belly full than when you're hungry. But, but how are people blessed? Through obedience. Under that first law, Blessing came through obedience, doing all these things. In the law, obedience in God results in blessing. So those blessings are conditional. And if you read the rest of the Old Testament and you understand that, you go, man, why do they keep doing this? They keep breaking the law in serious ways over and over and over. And they're judged for it, just like what God said. If you do this, here's what's going to happen. And you read on like, that's what happened. You should believe what God says. Blessed, this is in your notes, I kind of already covered it, but blessed refers to genuine happiness that comes from living in right relationship with God. Maybe you've heard, do whatever makes you happy. I mean, we live in a country right now that's really all about do what makes you happy. Well, guess what? There's actually already a pattern set by the creator that leads to happiness. And so instead of trying to figure out what the world's going to say, if we follow his pattern, we'll actually get there. And in Jesus' economy, blessing comes through heart conditions above outward actions. So here in in 5, we looked at these Beatitudes. What's different between this and the blessing promised in the law? That blessing was obedience. This blessing is from heart conditions. Look at those Beatitudes. You see, they're not do-attitudes. They're they're be-attitudes. This is what you are at your heart level. You know, poor in spirit. You mourn over sin. Yet these lead to actions, but these are all heart conditions. You're merciful, pure in heart, peacemaker. And that's not the old Clint Eastwood movie with the six shooter. I think they use this verse to justify anyway. Um, it's not that, but blessed are those, the peacemaker. That's also a heart condition that leads to an action, desiring peace. Now we're going to flip forward a little bit to verse 17, because Jesus is talking about the new covenant He's laying out the new system with new laws, and he starts it this way. You're probably not going to like this. Matthew 5, 17. Jesus says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. He goes on and talks a little bit about that. This verse has been used repeatedly to say that Christians are to follow the Mosaic law that Christians are still bound by the Mosaic law and follow those rules. And I've met plenty of people that that would read this and say, the law is still happening because of these verses. But here's what they misunderstand. What does Jesus say? I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. That is a key verse. And that's a key thing to understand as you go through the rest of what he's talking. He's going to talk about the law and he's going to refer a lot to the first law, But then he's going to put some other stuff in there and deal with that. But he says here he didn't come to abolish it, but to fulfill it. Last week, if you missed last week, try and listen to the podcast. Because we talked about how all these covenants and all the systems of sacrifices all pointed to Jesus. That was why they were created. That's why God gave them through Moses. Because God's game plan from the whole beginning was to move toward Jesus. And so they would then recognize Jesus when he came as the fulfillment of the law, as the perfect sacrifice, as the Passover lamb. So Jesus didn't come to get rid of the law, but he came to fulfill the law, which means rules aren't gone. And so, so those who say, oh, we're free to do whatever we want anymore, that's not right. That's not what the Bible teaches. So now he's going to start talking about the law. Look at verse 21. Verse 21. Matthew 5, 21, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder. That's one of the Ten Commandments. You shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Wow. So what did Jesus just do to this rule? Thou shalt not kill or thou shalt not murder. Did he make it easier or harder? Did he take it from an outward action and and leave it there? Or did he move it to a heart condition? He took this this law, this outward action, and he put it to the heart. So under the, the Jewish system, they could be angry in the heart. As long as they didn't act on it, they were fine. And some people will, will quote, be angry and do not sin, as in it's still, no, Jesus says right here, if you're angry with your brother, anybody been angry with their spouse, their kids, their parents, that's, that's sin. I mean, there's a, there's a place for holy anger and you see Jesus do that, but most of us aren't so good at that. Anger, you're, you're guilty as if you would be guilty of murder is what he's saying. Ooh. hopefully that's the only one he makes harder. Uh, verse 27 you have heard that it is said, you shall not commit adultery. Adultery is, is sex with somebody else's spouse. Or if you're married to somebody, not your spouse. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So did Jesus make that one harder or easier? Ugh. He turned it to a heart condition. He turned it to what you think. So wait a minute. We look at pornography and we think about somebody else and we're married. We're guilty of adultery. That's what it says. You see somebody walking down the street or whatever and you start thinking sexual thoughts about that person. Guilty of adultery. Oh, do you know the, the penalty for adultery in the Old Testament? It was death. It was death. So. Any of you a little bit nervous yet? He goes on in verse 31 to talk about divorce and 33, oaths and, and those things. Look at verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. So what does he do in this one? Under the law, there was the law of of retaliation. It's in Deuteronomy 19, 15 to 21, if you're curious. But basically, if somebody's accused of a crime, and there are enough witnesses, so there's a, a court hearing, basically, enough witnesses, they're found guilty, they were supposed to pay back a one-to-one. So if you guys are, like, fighting in the lawn and you accidentally gouge somebody's eyes out or on purpose, you gouge their eye out, your punishment, if found guilty, your eye would be gouged out. Uh, if you're fighting and a tooth falls out, tooth gets taken out. So that's an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Uh, if you kill somebody, you would be killed. So that's kind of how it, how it went under the law. That's fair, right? Doesn't that sound fair? Well... Jesus changes that. It's no longer fair. So one of his disciples, remember he's talking to his disciples, if you're going to be my disciple, here's how you walk in obedience that leads to blessing. When you're wronged, you take it. That's not fair. When someone takes from you, give them more. That's not fair. This doesn't preach very well. (laughs) It really doesn't. God now under Jesus's economy, he's not putting forward fairness for his people. He's putting forward love and grace through his people. That's the difference. The, the Roman, there was a law that a Roman soldier could make you go with them one mile. They couldn't make you go more than one, but they could make you go with them one mile and help carry all their stuff. So they'd be coming through town. They'd be like, Hey, you come here, carry my stuff. We're going a mile down the road. You, you couldn't say no to that, but, and that's not fair. Is that fair? I and mean, you got your own things going on, you know, you're on your way to soccer or whatever. Um, I don't think that was invented yet. Communism didn't come out till later and that's who invented it anyway. Um, so they can make you go one. Well, Jesus says, if you're my follower and you want to be happy and blessed and, and, and get into my kingdom, go another mile. So you'd get to the end of the mile and the Roman soldiers are like, OK, you can have my stuff. I'll pick somebody else. You're like, no, I'll just keep going with you. That's not fair. It's a cold day out there. You got your jacket and your sweater and your T-shirt on. Somebody comes up, give me your jacket. Okay. They start to walk away. Oh, here, take my sweater too. That's not fair. You see how this is changing? From outward actions to heart conditions. And notice something else that Jesus is doing. This is really cool. Everywhere, as we're seeing it, he says, I mean, just go to the anger one in verse 21, Matthew 5, 21. You have heard that it was said, those of old shall not murder whoever murders. Verse 22, but I say, this is Jesus' pattern through this. You've heard it said, and most of that, it's all in the law. You heard it said in the law, and who gave the law? God. <laughs> so, so who was the one that first gave the law to Moses? You could say it was Jesus, <laughs> the pre-incarnate Jesus. So he gave the first law, God gave the first law, but Jesus is now editing it. What blasphemy. For me, would that be if he wasn't the lawgiver? You've heard God said this, but I'm going to adjust it. You've heard this, but I'm going to adjust it. Jesus is very clearly standing in the throne of the lawmaker, which is God himself. So God in flesh is now changing the rules, but he's not making them easier. In fact, he makes it even harder. Look at verse 20, Matthew 5:20. So he's talking about the law. And he's saying, I, I didn't come to get rid of it, but to uh, fulfill it. And he's going to refer to this group, this group called the Pharisees. And he says in verse 20, For I tell you, unless your righteousness, which, which means obedience there, your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. The Pharisees were professional obeyers. Th- they were. They were professional legalistic obeyers, I mean, they would figure out the laws and, and follow them. And they'd take the law given, uh, obey the Sabbath. And they'd like, okay, we got to define that. What's it mean to obey the Sabbath? Thou shalt not work. Well, what's that mean? Oh, how many steps would work be? I get tired after 31, 30 steps. That's all you can go. So, I mean, they just, they, they made it really stringent and they were really good at obeying it. They were really good at obeying They didn't have writing like, we- they would memorize portions of the law. I mean, how much of the, the scripture do you have memorized? These were professional obeyers, and what does Jesus say? You've got to be better than them at their own game of obedience, or you can't enter the kingdom. Is anybody nervous yet? <laughs> He's taking the law, making it harder, and then he says this, as if we need it any worse, Matthew five forty-eight. You, therefore... Must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Jesus takes the law and he makes it harder. In fact, he makes it impossible. He makes it impossible. He makes it, takes it to a heart condition that nobody can fully fulfill. And here's the worst part of this sermon he leaves that hanging at the end. He doesn't resolve it in the Sermon on the Mount. Remember, it's really important as you study your Bible, as you read, that you don't just read a verse. You don't even just read a chapter. The verse is within a chapter. The chapter is within a book. The book is within the Bible. So it's all kind of one story, especially a book like Matthew. Matthew is writing on purpose, with a purpose. Yeah, he took notes. He was one of Jesus's followers, but he wrote this a couple decades later. And so he's writing on purpose. So you got to kind of take the whole book into account. He he shares this sermon that Jesus preached, but he doesn't resolve it in the end. He says, your obedience, if you want to be happy and blessed, and Jesus said, I came that it may have life and have it abundantly. So he wants us happy and blessed. But he makes that happiness and blessing to a heart condition that's impossible to follow. Then he says, you must be better than the Pharisees. Then he says, you must be perfect as my heavenly father is perfect. And doesn't resolve it. All right, let's pray. No, no, let's not. <laughs> he doesn't resolve it, but he does through the rest of the book of Matthew. This creates a tension on purpose. Jesus was really good at that. You create, and that, that's part of preaching, by the way, is you create some kind of tension at the beginning that the Bible resolves. Well, that's what Jesus, the best preacher ever, is doing. He's creating this tension, and Matthew putting out, he's creating this tension that he's going to resolve through the rest of the book. And what does he resolve? Well, it goes back to what he said at the beginning. Do not not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. He makes the law harder, and then he fulfills it. That's the system. That's the new covenant. The law was a tool, Uh, it's like a rule. You know, you want to. We uh, moved into a new house and we just put up the, the new or the board. How tall are the kids? How much have they grown? And they're, they've stretched in the last year. It's crazy. But but it's kind of like that. But it's this rule of how do you measure up to to God's righteousness? How do you measure up to Him? That's what the law does. It gives you a measure. And what happens when you stand next to it is you realize it's here and I'm here and I, I can't even get my tippy toes. That I can't. That's what the rule, the law, is for to show your need, that Jesus would fully fulfill it. And so I want to look at what does the the Scripture say, and we're going to flip over to Romans real quick, and you don't have to turn there. They're going to be on screen because this tension Paul resolves pretty well for us. He says in Romans 10.4 that Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. How does that resolve this tension that Jesus created with the Sermon on the Mount? Christ is the culmination of the law. It all points to Him so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. So who's the righteous, blessed one? The one who believes. That is is the key to the New Testament. That all of God's blessings and promises given to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and David, all that, that now comes through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. That it's not about what we do, and we can, we can become really good law lawyers, I don't know, whatever you would call it, obeyers. We can get legalistic, but that doesn't lead to happiness, and it doesn't actually lead to salvation. Instead, it's faith in Jesus Christ as Lord. So here's a, here's a picture. I want you to go to your Matthew passage. Give me some sins that we can commit based on Jesus' description of the new law. And this isn't confession time. I mean, mean, this isn't for you to go, I'm struggling with this, this, and this. But but what are some of those sins you see in there that we might be guilty of? Maybe the person next to you is. Surely not you. Gossip. Gossip. Where do you see that one? Two S's. Anything else in there? Judgment. Judgment, okay. Being judgmental of others. Anything else? What do we see in there? What do you see? Anger. Anger. Good. Ever been angry? Not. Okay. I heard another one over here. Lust. Darn it. And so, and here's the thing about the law. You break one, you're guilty of it all. And what is the wages of sin? What is the wages that breaking the law earns? There you go. It's death. All right. What else do we see in those? Yep. Coveting. Coveting. Ugh. Envy. So so coveting, uh, by the way, this is maybe one of the biggest ones we Americans struggle with. Covet is wanting those things. And, and this really aligns with happiness, too. I mean, what makes us happy? A little more. I'll be happy when I get a boat. I'll be happy when I get a raise. You know, happiness is always up there, that's coveting. What else? Strife. Ooh, any ever been guilty of that, even within the church of strife? Pride. Fear. Is that in those verses? Fear. Okay. Hmm. I heard pride. I want to nail down fear. I'm glad you mentioned that. Why might fear be sin for a Christian? Because you're not trusting in God. Fear is taking the control on yourself. It's, it's the opposite of faith. Faith is trusting God. That's good. Fear is not trusting God, which, which is sin. Uh, pride. Oh, goodness. Conceitedness. I'm going to just put conceit. I before E except after C. <laughs> <laughs> except for in neighbor and way getting even yes getting even that's good what's, what's that? revenge. revenge yep revenge absolutely I have heard people in leadership at churches say something like this I know the Bible says turn the other cheek but if my kid gets attacked I tell that so I mean that's kind of our American way <laughs> hit back right or hit first that's not God's way alright we could keep going Unfortunately, I could probably hand out the pen and you could list your own in there. Under the law, under the law, you're guilty of any of this. You're guilty. And you have to go do your sacrifice or whatever it is. Under the new covenant that Jesus is laying out, he gives these new harder rules. But then what he does is he just covers it. So now, who gets to be blessed? (laughs) Not the person who's sinless, the person who has all their sin covered by Jesus. Jesus came to fulfill the law. He covered it. He completed it perfectly. All of those, by the way. He was tempted and everything like we are, yet without sin. He did it perfectly so he could be the perfect sacrifice for our sins. That's the new covenant. Up on the screen... On this topic, Romans 8, 1 through 4. Okay, so blessing, uh, right with God comes through obedience. Well, what happens if we disobey? Love these verses. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Time out. We're going to read the rest of that. Do you get that? If you're in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation. For the sins you committed before. We say that here. You don't have to worry about your past. For the sins you have now. So you don't have to pretend to be perfect. There's no condemnation. So, this isn't a license to go sin all you want. But guess what? When you do sin, we can still be happy and blessed as we turn back to Jesus and recognize there's no condemnation because Jesus, you took it. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do Because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. The law was put into effect to prepare the way for Jesus, who is the perfect fulfillment of the law. There's no condemnation. Jesus took it. So, now and forever, we get to enjoy the blessing that comes from a right relationship with God through Jesus. You have eternal salvation from what Jesus has done. You have a sure hope. Your life is 60, 70, 80 years, and then we're with Him forever. We get to hope in that. Does that create some happiness? blessed God's economy this blessing this happiness comes from heart conditions and they're not based on circumstances so we're free to be happy when life is really bad that's awesome because we have faith not fear as was said so then let's let's go back to the question that's looming all these laws that Jesus made harder are we supposed to obey those yeah (laughs) we are so so there's the conundrum. He wasn't joking. <laughs> he was telling the truth. Blessed are you when you live this way, and, and here's my standard for you. It's now harder, and I want you to do it. But but you're not judged when you fall short because of Jesus. And now you are empowered by the Holy Spirit to actually be able to obey it. Pop up that Romans passage one more time. To try to throw you guys off back there. There, there it is. So... Not only does does he condemn sin in the flesh, not only does he deal with it, but now, in order, this is third sentence up, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us. Meaning we can now walk this way. How? Not living according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. In Galatians, it says, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So... Does God want us? Does Jesus want us to walk in obedience to these rules? He sure does. And the better we do, the happier we'll be, not based on on circumstances. But he empowers us to carry it out. He doesn't judge us for falling short. Our life is better as we carry it out. But again, there's no condemnation when we fall short. This is the rub of the Christian life. <laughs> this is the rub. I now, because I understand Jesus' love for me, I understand what he did for me, and what I get forever, guess what? I want to obey him. I want to walk in righteousness. I want to be used by him. But guess what? I mess up. But there's no condemnation. So there's the rub, is that we, we are saved through Jesus alone. We can be fully happy and resting in that. But then this process of sanctification happens where we get more and more obedient, not in the flesh by trying harder, but by God, by Jesus living his life in and through us. And so this, I hope, leads us to worship, that our happiness, our flourishing, our eternity isn't based on our actions. It's based on Jesus alone. Let me pray. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you. Thank you that you fulfilled the law. Thank you that... uh, the righteous requirement of the, of the law was fulfilled by you so that we don't have to do it, so that, that our right relationship with the Father is not based on that. But God, I, I also thank you for the Holy Spirit that you've given to us and the ability to walk rightly. Thank you for giving us the ability to not be angry when we're wronged. Thank you that Holy Spirit in us, you fill us with love for others so that when they wrong us, we want what's best for them. That's all you and us, and we thank you for that. And I do pray that, God, we wouldn't feel condemned today. There's no condemnation for those who are in you. But, God, that we would uh, be encouraged to lean on you to walk in better obedience and experience your blessing. And if there's anybody here in this room that does not know you, maybe they're still trying to follow the law or legalism, or they're still trying to, to make up for their bad with good, and so the scale will even out in the end, or hopefully their good will outweigh and they'll get in. I pray that they would, would realize it's not about the scale, but it's about you, Jesus, and that we are to bow our knee and surrender and submission to you and you handle the rest. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We love you. Amen.